Welcome to Empire Sports Media, New York Giants podcast, Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host, Alexander Wilson, with my two co-hosts, Anthony Rivardo and Christian Morell. Today we're going to be talking about several different topics, including Daniel Jones and Yama Manning's relationship, Ryan Connolly out of Wisconsin, linebacker Evan Ingram's post-OBJ, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard's wide receiver duo, and a little in between. I hope you enjoy the show. We'll be starting off with Jones and Manning and kind of you know, what we think that relationship will be like and how Manning's role and his development will be like. I think just to start that if we look back to Kansas City, we see Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. You know, Smith had a more hands-on approach with Mahomes, but I think Manning's going to kind of take a back seat because he knows he's kind of preparing to leave the Giants ultimately after this season, despite Dave Gettleman saying they could follow a Green Bay model and, and you know, they could have Jones there for three years, even two years, and just be sitting there behind, kind of like Brett Favre with Aaron Rodgers, or reversed Aaron Rodgers with Brett Favre. Um, I think that that's kind of comical, and it, it's, not, it's not realistic, considering you spend a number six pick on a guy like that, and I know Aaron Rodgers was, was drafted at the bottom of the first round. Um, he was more of a developmental guy at the time, and obviously we've seen what he's become, but I, I personally don't think that that model will work. Um, Anthony, what do you think about that? I mean, you don't spend the number six overall pick on a quarterback and then sit him for three years, especially when your offensive coordinator after the rookie minicamp says he can start from day one if they need him to. So I just, that's not going to happen. I think by the latest, he'll be starting week one next season. And I think there's a chance he even gets in there sometime this point, or sometime this year, if Eli Manning can't produce enough wins for the Giants. But I think Eli Manning should take on a hands-on approach, but I don't think he will. I don't think that's Eli's thing. I think he's just going to compete because he knows that if he doesn't get some wins, he will get benched. So I think he's going to uh, kind of ignore him and just play his own style. Not ignore him. He'll still be, you know, a great teammate like he always is, but he's not going to take the hands-on mentor role that we uh, hope he would. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Green Bay model is realistic at all. I think that was just talk, you know. Um, and this is the first year Eli is going into a final year of his contract. So I feel like that says a lot right there. And if we get into November with two or three wins, the fans, everybody is going to be calling for Daniel Jones. Um, as far as the relationship, I think it's going to be interesting because Eli is almost going to be forced to help him with little things here and there or else it's going to come off as rude. But it's just not necessarily his job to raise Daniel Jones as a quarterback while he still needs to prepare himself. But overall, I think their relationship is going to be smooth. I agree, honestly. If you think about David Cutcliffe and you know Jones, Peyton, and Eli all going through this same coach, there has to be some sort of relationship already built there. And I think that's kind of why the Giants are taking this risk on Daniel Jones. And, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of Dwayne Haskins at all after seeing what he did after the draft. If you look at his face when the Redskins picked him, I mean, the guy just got drafted in the first round to an NFL team, and he looks like he just, he just shit his pants in all seriousness. Like, he doesn't even care. His head's down. And to be honest with you, he doesn't really look like he wants to be a Redskin. And... I mean, he, we know he wanted to be a Giant. He grew up in New Jersey. It's, it's all relevant. Um, and right after the draft, he decided, okay, I'm going to go start my own brand with my dad. We've seen the Eli Apple saga. We know, 
you know, what happens when players involve their parents too much in their, in their uh, professional business matters. And Haskins doing that just kind of turns me off completely, and which is why I'm really happy we have a guy as boring as Daniel Jones. He's going to show up, say the right things, make the right plays, make the right decisions. He's, he's going to bore us to death, but he's going to win us a Super Bowl, and we're going to be okay with it. That's kind of how I feel in terms of that. But um, do you guys think similarly? Like, do you think it was the right pick over Haskins? Or do you, would, if you could go back, would you have done it a different way? If I could go back, I would have taken Dwayne Haskins. The, um, the parental issues are not really much of a factor to me. Um, it is a little odd that he immediately just started branding himself. And, you know, he didn't seem too happy. But let's not forget that Eli Manning and Archie Manning teamed up for the greatest finesse of draft history in 2004. Good Very good point. Um, I mean, that, that just leads me to another point, though. Like, if you look at Haskins, he had one good year, you know, and that's kind of what we're basing our entire opinion off of, this one year that he just blew it up. 50 touchdown passes, eight interceptions. Like, the guy, the guy was a monster. And you look at Jones, you're like, okay, he, had, he never broke 3,000 passing yards. You know, he didn't look very good. But then again, he didn't have the weapons around him. Ohio State had a fantastic offensive line, great running backs, solid receivers. Everything around him was, was there to help him succeed. And you have a guy like, like Jones who has his receivers dropping 33 passes last year. And we're sitting here like, okay, why is he not producing these numbers similar to Haskins? And can we actually use those numbers to compare them? And that's where I think, you know, what, something I saw today was really interesting. It, the, the idea is like if you put Jones on Oklahoma where Kyler Murray was just fantastic – and you give him C.D. Lamb, you give him Hollywood Brown, a fantastic offensive line, solid running backs, does he put up numbers that justify being the number six pick? And I think that's like a reasonable discussion that we have to have because if you think about it, those numbers change drastically based on the talent around you. At, at Duke, he had no NFL talent. Nobody on that team on the offensive side of the ball is, is going to the NFL except for him. So we have to think like, he carried that team to an 8-5 and five record. They won a bowl game against Temple. They, they stood a fight. They put up a fight against Clemson, the best team in the nation last year. So we have to consider those facts and be like, okay, if we put him on a better team, is he really you know, going to justify being a top 5 pick or a top 10 pick? Uh, what do you think about that, Christian? Yeah, I would say that his numbers are definitely better uh, with in Oklahoma you know, or with Ohio State. And you don't really want to punish Haskins for playing with good players, but he was seriously throwing a ton of drag routes and 10-yard passes that were turning into huge plays and touchdowns. So Jones was really going to be throwing the same types of passes. Um, I don't think that they're even insanely different from each other, except Jones is a little more mobile. Um, But... You know, I think Jones definitely would have had more stock and more media love if he played for a bigger school like that. Right. I mean, that makes sense to me. Anthony, what do you think? Yeah, definitely playing for a bigger school would have gotten him more attention. And his stats definitely would have been better. But I still don't think he would have been a um, round one or a top five prospect. Because when I watch the film, there's things that Dwayne Haskins does that are pretty uh, advanced. And then there's things that Daniel Jones does that are pretty advanced, but they're different. And what I see from Daniel Jones, sometimes his deci- his decision-making just gets all out of whack, similar to like Eli Manning does with the Giants. 
sometimes he'll just throw it up in the middle of the field, like this one play against, it was either Virginia or Virginia Tech. He just threw it up in the triple coverage in the middle of the field, easy interception. And things like that are not what you want to see from a top 10, top 5 overall pick. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. I, I, I see what you're saying in terms of development. I mean, I really like how Haskins progressed throughout the season last year, and that's kind of the, one of the reasons I was high on him to begin with, was just because you watch him from week one to the end of the season, you're like, okay, this guy is a top 10 pick. Like, he, he can be a top 10 pick. He ended up going, what, 17th? Or a little bit, a little bit below that. Fifteenth, exactly. fifteenth. So he went fifteenth, and I mean, it's justified. He he has the arm strength, pinpoint accuracy. He's progressing continuously, and that those are things you all want to see in your quarterback coming out of college. Um, and he ha- he certainly has the confidence. And now he has a chip on his shoulder. And to be honest, I really don't like him being in the NFC East at this <laughs> point because now I feel like he's going to come and beat us up every single time. And that's why we kind of went in and got some got some nice uh, secondary men like DeAndre Baker and Julian Love. Because beforehand, we, we really only had Janoris Jenkins, and he's a shot in the dark once the team starts losing. Yeah, and it's important for us to stay true to our evaluation, too. You know, if you thought Haskins was better before the draft, you know, you kind of have to stay true to that. But at the same time, you know, you kind of touched on some of those uh, personal matters that he has. And it just makes me wonder if maybe the Giants were onto something there. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And, that, you know, that, that was my biggest concern. It really wasn't his skill set because I actually like what he has to offer. Aside, aside from his, the lack of mobility, and that's kind of where I think the Giants needed to upgrade. Eli Manning can't run. He can't compensate for a bad offensive line. Daniel Jones can get in there. He can, he can pick up those three yards, those four yards, even run in for touchdowns. Um, he can sneak the ball at the, at the, at the goal line. Like, he, he is athletic enough to make those plays, but he also tends to take unnecessary hits. And guys in the NFL will give up those 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalties to drill a quarterback in the head as they're going down because it really is all about you know, winning in the NFL. And they, these guys, are, they're going in full of anger, and, and they're ready to hit people. And sometimes that instinctive nature just comes over them, and, and they hit these guys you know, even if they're sliding. And that's kind of where Daniel Jones has to work on his game because I've seen him way too many times dive headfirst into tackles or, or just simply not uh, slide before getting tackled, and that could be a huge problem, a huge injury risk. Yeah, and that's one of those ways that uh, you know sitting for a little while is going to benefit him because that's one of those little things he can work on. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Dwayne Haskins isn't going to have to, uh, to his advantage in Washington because with uh, Alex Smith injured, he's just going to be thrown into the starting role immediately. Yeah, that's a it's a good point. Um, but to move on from these two quarterbacks, because I could go on all day about them, um, I kind of want to talk about a little underrated player the Giants drafted in the fifth round, uh, Wisconsin linebacker Ryan Connolly. He's one of those guys that kind of fell under the radar. He's a four-year starter, tremendous uh, talent. Um, he's Rather speedy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call him an outside linebacker. Rather inside. You know, a position where the Giants only have Ty Davis and Nathan Stupart. So, it, it's it's interesting to see what he can do. ESPN just graded him as a top twenty candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. I see people, you know, telling me that he he could be a, a starting linebacker for the Giants by week three. Um, I don't know how realistic that is, but being that he has the collegiate experience to come in and play at a high level. He's extreme instinctive abilities, um, unstoppable motor. This guy just chooses a hole and just shoots through it like ridiculous speed. If you, if you go and look up his highlights, 
Um, he has tremendous ability, and I think that he can be a pretty solid addition to the team. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him at all, or like have any, you know, have watched any tape of his. Um, but if anyone wants to, you know, chime in and like, you know, kind of tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, uh, I did a full scouting report on Ryan Connolly, and here's the thing: he could be that defensive rookie of the year if he is allowed to just shoot gaps all day. But I just don't see that being the case because he was actually the best in the class at shooting gaps. But when you need him to move side to side and you need him to get in coverage, that's when it gets really bad for him. He actually allowed over 70% of passes completed in his coverage. Wow. And you, so you really just need him as a thumper in the run game. Uh, kind of the way the Patriots used to use Brandon Spikes, who, you know, you just needed him to run forward all game, but they were able to make it work schematically. So really, the if they can find the way to let him do what he does well, he's going to produce. But he's he's just not projected to be necessarily a complete player. Right. That makes sense to me. Anthony, do you have something to say? Yeah, well, I just think Giants fans need to temper their expectations. I don't think the defensive rookie of the year uh, is like realistic for a fifth round rookie. I mean, of course it happens, but it's always rare when you see that happen. Uh, He's extremely fast. uh, 1.54 second 10 yard split. That was blazing third most among, uh, third highest among uh, linebackers at the combine since 2010. But again, like Christian touched on, the issues in the uh, passing game I just don't see him being a uh, every-down linebacker that just takes over the game defensively and actually wins Defensive Rookie of the Year. And again, right. that's that's just if he could shoot gaps all day. You know, if you have somebody that is, you know, designated for coverage and he is just getting in behind those defensive tackles, you know, but that's that's just not realistic to, to work out that way. He's going to have to you know, be used in coverage and teams will just find a way to get after him in the past game. So, you know, realistically, uh, he, he could be a starter, but maybe probably not ever a high end guy. Right. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. I, I mean, he had one pass defended last year and I, I agree with you. He's not the most refined coverage linebacker, but again, he's playing inside linebacker. So he's a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage playing the weak side. Um, I feel like he could, come in and, you know, cover running backs out in the flat. He definitely can't pick up a tight end um, off the line of scrimmage, though. Uh, I just don't think he's big enough, and he doesn't have that, you know, that extra coverage ability to be able to cover them, especially the speedier ones. Like, even against Evan Ingram, he'll probably get torched in practice. But if we're thinking about running backs coming out of the backfield, I think he can. He has the speed to keep up with them. Um, The tackling ability is kind of my biggest concern since he's a little bit undersized. But he did have 89 total tackles, 10 for a loss last year, and three sacks. So he can get into the backfield. He's super able, and you know he has a motor. He can, he can rush the passer to a certain degree and get into the backfield quickly. But I agree with you, he's better utilized in that fashion than in coverage. But I think that's one of the reasons they went and picked up a guy like Jabril Peppers, because he's going to be playing that you know, strong safety, but he can also play de facto free safety or even cover linebacker. Um, he's going to be that Swiss Army knife, Swiss Army knife for the defense. I'm re- I'm super excited to see what James Betcher has in store for him. I feel like they totally underused him 
or Valor just used him improperly in Cleveland. They, they featured him at free safety for a majority of the time, and he was awful. He ranked as one of the worst free safeties in the league, and everybody knows that he is not the best uh, deep cover guy. He is extremely good at playing closer line of scrimmage, um, a very fast, very athletic player. Um, do you guys think, you know, have a similar mindset on that? I think he's going to be actually one of the bigger surprises for the Giants this year. Yeah, I think he's going to be the uh, best player on the Giants defense. Jabril Peppers, I think he's wow. really versatile. <laughs> I, I mean, there's not a lot of talent on the defense, but I think Jabril Peppers is going to be the best player because he can just play so many different roles. He spent time playing uh, linebacker. He spent time playing um, free safety, strong safety, even a little bit of slot cornerback. I just think he's a playmaker and James Betcher. He knew how to use Tyron Matthew, helped him earn uh, first-team All-Pro in 2015. I think we could see Jabril Peppers make a big leap this year. I agree. Yeah, it's not a high bar to clear to be our best defensive player, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he'll be. I think he will be good in coverage, but in man coverage, and like you said, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. So that really works out. You know, covering some tight ends. He's a little short for that, so we'll see how it works out. But Betcher has hinted at using him everywhere. And, yeah, that deep center field safety really is not his his best spot. But, you know, he also has played a lot of positions throughout college. So, you know, maybe he grows into that, you know, deep center field safety. But I kind of think he's almost what he wanted Landon Collins to be. So I'm yeah. really excited for this guy. Yeah, I am too. Honestly, I think in addition to um, his defensive abilities – He's going to be such a good kick returner. Our special teams took some such a big jump last year in just a f overall efficiency. I think if they can you know, continue that, they have Nate Supar, who actually played fantastic, Michael Thomas as a gunner. These guys are, are quality, and now having a, a premium uh, return guy like Jabril Peppers, the, the guy is extremely athletic. We're going to see some things we haven't seen in years um, just, you know, when we saw Odell Beckham Jr. return kicks, like it, it's that type of athleticism, that type of just that wow factor. He can break a play at any moment. Um, but I'm actually really excited to see how the secondary, sh like, you know, shapes out this year with so many position battles. Although I'm a little, I'm a little wary about Antoine Bethea. Um, I know he played under Betcher, but he's, he's, you know, he's a veteran. And we have to remember that, like, he can get injured. He's, he's susceptible to that. Um, I mean, he had a solid year last year. He made that transition from strong safety to free safety, free safety um, with age. But I, I feel like we're, we're really putting all of our chips in on this, on this player that isn't proven um, at the free safety position. Um, I honestly, I was, I was looking into other free agent options at the moment. I saw Trey Boston. I know Anthony uh, knows a lot about him. Um, Trey Boston's a, a, good, a good option if the Giants want to go out and actually get a guy to compete with Bethea or even take the starting job. He was drafted by Gettleman in 2014. I mean, he's a solid player. He's been taking a lot of one-year deals and proving himself, which is the weirdest part. There has to be something more going on with him, whether it's a personality a flaw or just something in the locker room. But he just hasn't been able to stick around. Now he's still sitting on the free agent market. Anthony, what do you think about Trey Boston coming to the Giants? I think Trey Boston would be a great signing if he'd be willing to sign back with Gettleman because Gettleman did cut him in 2016. So if he's willing to bury the hatchet there and sign with the Giants, I think he would be an awesome pickup for the Giants because at only 26 years old, 20 maybe 27 now, um, he's he would be a great coverage, free safety. He's also got a, he's got a nice chip on his shoulder. If you watch some of his plays, he... Uh, 
he lays the boom. He's been flagged a few times for it, but <laughs> yeah, he can he can hit. Good, good. Um, Christian, you have anything you want to say about him? I don't know if you're yeah, familiar. Yeah, I, I think he has the talent certainly to join the team, but one of those things we've learned with Gettleman is you're either one of his guys or you're not. And true. if you're one of his guys, you know he'll he'll pay too much for you, and if you're not one of his guys, he'll <laughs> send you off, you know, for the best offer. So. <laughs> I just I don't see that being likely there, but um, I think we're going to see more Julian Love at safety than some might expect. Um, he did it in college, and at the rookie minicamp, his speed kind of looked like an issue when he played when he played corner. So, you know, I think he's going to be playing nickel, but I think he could actually turn out to be a long-term safety. I, I could see that happening. I mean, I know Julian Love is going to battle it out with Grant Haley, Haley played in 10 games last year, started in nine of them. He has some experience, but he is undrafted, so unproven talent. Um, he looked like he could handle, handle the load of being a slot corner, um, but having Love there, I think that he's super competitive. Coming in the fourth round, he has a chip on his shoulder already. He, he fell a ton. I mean, he was a second-round projected, projected grade, and Gettleman said he stuck out like a sore thumb on, the, on his draft board. Like There was no question that Love was the pick for them. And I looked into him before the draft, and I honestly loved what I had to see, what I saw in him. He's a little bit, he's a little bit slow, like you said, but he has that tenacity. He's very good at uh, in-man coverage, um, you know, covering smaller receivers and just sticking by their side is his is his premium talent. Um, so I think that he will actually win that battle against Grant Haley. But I can also see him moving to free safety if if he doesn't work out there as like a last chance type of thing. Um, but I think they're focusing him in on. Uh, the corner in, in the nickel packages and keeping Bethea at, at free safety, maybe signing somebody next season or drafting somebody. We have to remember we have 90 mil in cap next year, around 90 mil. So we're going to have plenty of room to, to sign veteran players, and we already have a great base on offense and defense. It's, it's looking good, boys. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for where we're going. Yeah, I think things are looking up too. And I think Julian Love might get moved to safety, maybe not even because – He's not the best knuckle corner, but just to get all the best players on the field, you know, because That's fair. like you said, Bethea is getting pretty, pretty old here and he might not be able to go a whole season and that might be a blessing in disguise if, if love's pretty good there. Yeah, I think Bethea is still solid, but the age is obviously a factor. I mean, Julian Love is a long-term solution at either slot or safety yet to be determined. And Bethea is only a year or two solution. That's true. I mean, he's going to play that veteran leadership role anyway, um, just helping those guys get to speed, um, especially with two new guys and Grant Haley being undrafted in only in his second year. There's, there's a, plenty to learn. Uh, but I want to move on to our next subject. I want to go to the tight end position, and I want to make a bold prediction here, saying that Evan Ingram is going to be our offensive breakout player of the year. And I'll tell you why. I think that Ingram has been underutilized completely, despite his injuries, put them aside. We're looking, when he's on the field with OBJ, and now that OBJ's gone, we're going to see a lot of different players reap the rewards of him being off the field and seeing Eli Manning force throws into double coverage, triple coverage, and get intercepted just because, you know, Odell's got to have the ball, or he's going he's gonna to marry the kicking net otherwise. So we have Ingram here, averaging... 36.7 yards per game with Beckham on the field. That, that's, that's like two catches a game in, in, all, in all seriousness. 36.7 yards per game when OBJ is on the field when he's 
off the field, given the sample size is only four games, because that's what we had to work with given OBJ was injured um, for the last four games of the season last year. We're talking strictly 2018 numbers. He averaged 80 yards per game. So he doubled his production with OBJ off the field, and we also saw Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard increase their numbers when OBJ was off the field. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that the trade was the best deal because I think we could have gotten more value. I'm strictly talking about the players and their numbers elevated after we saw OBJ miss time. And I think that Ingram is primed for a big season. I mean, we know he's not the best blocker in the world, but we do know he is capable of being a threat in the red zone and moving the chains. Despite his drops, he cut his drops in more than half last season from 2017. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Because I think we're, we're going to see a different player in Ingram if they actually focus on him. Yeah, I think Evan Ingram will break out this year. It's all about staying healthy. But other than Saquon Barkley, I think he's the best playmaker on the offense. And we can look at the four games without Odell in 2018. But we can also look at the, was it 12 in 2017 that yes, Odell missed? Yeah. I mean, Evan Engram looked phenomenal in those 12 games. I and thought as a he, rookie. Yeah, as a rookie, he looked awesome. And I remember the game where we got blown out against the Rams. Uh, that was really bad. It was like 50 to something. But he, he made a couple of... He made a fade route in the end zone, a fade route catch in the end zone for a touchdown. And that's just the, the red zone presence that we've been missing, where we're always just trying to force underneath routes or out routes to Odell, all that stuff. I just I wish that they would just throw that fade route to this big monster, Evan Engram, we've got on the outside more often. And I think we're going to see that now. Yeah, he's kind of that big receiver that's been missed. But... um. Yeah, like you said, you know, his targets also increase quite a bit when Odell is off the field. And he's, he is kind of the most explosive pass catcher now, too, um, unless Darius Slayton can really play as a rookie. Uh, doubtful, doubtful. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, he's prob- we're probably going to need his 4-4 speed for the, the big plays. So I, I could see 1,000 yards for Evan Ingram this year. I could, I, I think that's also a bold prediction, but I could totally see where you're coming from. I honestly, the, the one of the main things with Ingram that I think the Giants should actually do with him, they should just axe the entire tight end from his his position. They should just make him a wide receiver. They have Red Ellison and Scott Simonson, both quality blocking guys, and they can both catch the ball. They don't need Evan Ingram to be a tight end. They can line him up. Um, on the line of scrimmage and have him run routes, or they can really just stand him up and have him run. He's fast enough, physical enough, strong enough. Everything about him screams red zone wide receiver. Um, If they want to utilize him in that sense off the line of scrimmage, I see why, because they can disguise him in certain ways, Um, especially if they're using two tight end sets. But I I can honestly see them lining him up on the outside, or rather um, as like a slot receiver type of guy, um, just on the interior um, and run those, like you're saying, Anthony, run those fade routes in the end zone, he can make those plays. He, he, he drops them occasionally, but I think he has the ability to you know, take this next step forward, uh, working on his hands, and you know, he can make that jump and have a, have a seriously good year. And I think he could eclipse that 1,000-yard mark for the first time in, in his career and, and finally have a full 16-game season. Because like you said, it's all about health with Ingram. If he's healthy and he can maintain that hot streak, he can be fantastic. But the second he gets injured and he misses a few games, he, he lags off and then his, his numbers dip. You know the story. Um, but I think that he can be great. Do you guys have any other players that in mind that you think will 
kind of show up a little bit. Um, I know Golden Tate just joined, so I want to hit on him and Shepard as well. But is there anyone else that really stands out to you guys? Well, I just got one more thing on Ingram. Um, I'm okay with him if you never put a, put his hand in the dirt again, but maybe putting him actually out wide with those real twitchy corners would be tough because he Definitely. doesn't. He kind of has more long speed, so you know he's he'd be fine in the slot or you know just and just flexed out. But um, but yeah, I like uh, I like Golden Tate for about fifty to sixty catches. Uh, about 700 yards i think he's going to be an actual number two to sterling shepherd yeah i want to say one last thing about evan engram i don't think the um i i could see him going for a thousand yards this year i think he really has a potential for it but i don't think a full-on conversion to wide receiver would be good for him because it's all about the matchups he's such a matchup problem at tight end but he wouldn't be such a matchup problem at receiver and i think I wrote about this in an article about what is the Giants' plan a few weeks ago. I, I really see that they're trying to, and this also ties into Golden Tate, they're trying to build this offense that's really similar to what the Patriots' offense was like last year, where it's run first and then secondary is get the ball to the tight end and those little scat receivers, slot receivers that they have everywhere. And Evan Engram would kind of play like Rob Gronkowski was, where they would split him out wide a lot because right. he's got the speed and the size, but he'd also he's not the blocker that Rob Gronkowski was, of course, but he can still play on the line and be a big matchup problem there. And then you have Sterling Shepard and uh, Golden Tate and Corey Coleman. They're all slot guys. Coleman's the deep guy, obviously. He's got the long speed. But then I see Golden Tate being like the dependable, almost like Julian Edelman was in... Uh, the Patriots offense he's a dependable veteran that is there for third and short he's going to get that first down every time right I mean that makes sense to me I could see him playing that kind of third down role um and just targeting him in that fashion um but for our last topic I really want to just touch on Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate I want to kind of focus on them as a, as a as a pair and not just singulars because they're both very similar um in their play styles they can both play in the slot both play on the outside um, I love, that's kind of what I love what Gettleman did with these two players. He decided, okay, I'm going to sign two players that aren't just slot options. Like we saw the Jets sign Jameson Crowder. The guy basically is injured 24-7 and all he can do is play in the slot. And signing guys like Shep and Tate who are healthy options um, relatively and guys that can, you know, create those mismatches um, and act as primary possession receivers and that's really the whole focal point of this offense especially with pat Shermer. he's not going to take those big shots all the time and very rarely to be honest he's moving the chains step by step similar to the patriots scheme that you don't have to throw the ball 80 yards and score in 20 seconds if you can score in 10 minutes on a on a 70 yard drive Every single time I'm going to take the longer drive because you're keeping your defense off the field, rested, and you're keeping their defense on the field and running for their lives. So I think that's what we're going to see more in, 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 uh, in the future, especially with Daniel Jones coming up the ranks. I think that the Giants are going to really focus around you know, really dragging out these drives and running the ball a ton, wasting time off the clock, keeping the, defense, the opposing defense tired. Um, and I think that Shepard and Tate complements that ideology perfectly because they're such possess possession guys. Tate, if you look at Tate, he's, he's the number one receiver in yards after catching the league. And we saw OBJ, um, you know, he was that one-play wonder. He, he would just score on any given moment. 
But at the same time, you have Eli Manning forcing passes to him because he needs the ball in his hands at all times. Um, and I think that you know, straying away from that idea and focusing on these possession receivers is going to be so beneficial for everybody in the offense. And you know, just like we saw last year, the points per game skyrocketed when OBJ was off the field. And I know people don't like it when I say that, but it's the truth. And I think that you know, this season is going to prove that, that having these possession guys is really, is really helpful. Um, especially when you have a quarterback that needs time and isn't going to throw the ball 70 yards like Josh Allen uh, to some random dude named like Randall Foster running down the field. So, you know, that's kind of how I feel. I don't know if you guys have a similar have a similar idea on the matter. Well, another thing that I like about Shepard and Tate with their uh, similarity is they're both very physical run blockers. And I think that's that played a big part in uh, Shepard earning his new contract. He's great point. Yeah, he was a great run blocker this year, and we know that Saquon Barkley is the offense from here on. So they need those nice physical receivers blocking on the outside, and Shepard and Tate both can do that. Well, I'm actually not so happy about uh, Shepard and Tate being a one-two punch because if you just put both of them outside – you're going to run into some serious schematic issues. The corners are going to play inside shade because they don't respect them over the top, and that's going to make those in-breaking routes a lot harder to separate with. And, like, I'd be okay with it if I thought they would be more creative with them. Um, I'm okay with them being the one-two if both of them are in the slot at the same time, at least one of them. But in the last three years, between the two of them, only one touchdown has been scored from the outside position, so that, to me, is just mind-blowing. Like These guys have just not scored when they line up outside, and I've watched on tape that corners don't really respect their long speed, so you're going to have to have a guy in this offense that's just running straight down the field pretty often just to keep defenses honest, um, or else teams just will not respect it. They'll creep up, and those those short completions become a lot harder. So um, whether it's Cody Latimer, whether it's Darius Slayton, I, I need somebody running straight down the field on the outside with those two. Well, I think this is where Evan Engram comes into play. I think he's the one who gets the matchup, uh, matchup wins. You know, He's the one who's going to add the creativity to the offense and make it so that it's not just a Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard one-two punch because I agree that's going to cause a lot of problems. That's where we're really going to start to miss Odell. But I think Evan Engram is like the X-factor player in this new offense. Well, the tough part is he's get, he can get open deep down the field, but it's down the middle. And so when you don't have anyone respect you down the sideline, uh, it, it's just there's differences in coverage there. But... Uh, the Rams do it because Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are not fast, so they would have a guy like Sammy Watkins or Brandon Cooks just run straight down the field for most of the game just to keep defenses honest. So they're going to be fine as long as schematically they they handle it properly. Yeah, I could see Corey Coleman playing that role, but, you know, I'm not too confident in him playing it. Yeah, I mean, Corey Coleman's one of those guys, honestly, I feel like he could have a solid year. He only had like 72 receiving yards last year, so we have to keep that in mind. He's not going to be blowing anyone's door off, um, but he does have that kind of that 
underrated speed. He is a former first-round pick, so he has talent there. I mean, after he broke his hand in Cleveland, he was never really the same. Um, I honestly don't really see that the Giants using him in more in in a, in a starting manner. I think they're actually going to put like a possession receiver on the outside and keep Shep, uh, like rotate Shep and Tate in the slot. Um, I can see them using like Benny Fowler, um, some someone big, a big body, just to be on the outside and you know collect those passes. He's the big body receivers are great for those third third and short. Um, that's why I think Evan Ingram, like you said, Anthony is going to be really effective this season. Um, but I do I do like kind of where the, the offense is headed. They don't need to have the best receivers. We've seen how, like how many how many teams have won a Super Bowl that had a top five receiver on them. Like we know we know the facts. They don't make that much of a difference. Um, but when you have a guy like Saquon Barkley in the backfield, um, like he he is a difference maker. He can break those plays and he can do more than just run the ball. He can catch, block the whole trifecta. So I think the offense is headed in a pretty good direction. We rebuilt the offensive line. Everything looks pretty sharp up to this point, but it's all on paper as of now, so it's hard to tell if it's actually going to pan out. And knowing the Giants, something will go wrong. The entire team will, you know, catch the the, the swine flu and go down for three weeks. So, you know, <laughs> that's the reality of the matter. Yeah, well, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a true team ball. You know, no guy is going to be entitled to ten targets before a snap is played. You know. Between those three pass catchers, one guy is going to get 20 yards in a game or two catches, and it's just going to be the nature of it because, like you said, it's going to be run first, so it's going to be team ball all the way. Yep, it's just going to be totally dependent on Saquon Barkley, so they got to keep him healthy. That's first and foremost, and I don't see him having issues with injury, obviously, because he's just the most perfectly made human being on on the planet, (laughs) but... I'd like to see them, Rod Smith, if he, uh, if he could provide some quality snaps to, uh, you know, keep Saquon off the field sometimes, that would be great because he's got to stay healthy to keep the offense intact. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that backup running back position is going to be interesting. I think Wayne Gallman kind of has it on lock. Rod Smith is just kind of there as like a, uh, at least some veteran, you know, player back there post-Jonathan Stewart madness. Yeah, like Gallman more too. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think Gallman just kind of stays that number two guy. I mean, he didn't have the best season last year, but again, he's like, what is he running like three times a game at most? <laughs> Saquon Barkley's there for for good, and you know, knock on wood, hopefully he doesn't get injured or anything. Um, but like, they're they're not using Gallman in a serious role. They're like, Saquon, here's some here's some water, like get back in there. <laughs> um, but all right, so I want to wrap it up there. Uh, we've had a nice forty minute run today, and I, I think I think you've had plenty to hear about. Um, but thank you so much for listening to the episode number two of Keeping Up with the G-Men. Thanks to our co-hosts, Anthony and Christian. We'll catch you next week to break down some more Big Blue leading up to training camp. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of players to work through. Um, it's only going to get more interesting as we go, and I think we're like 162 days away from uh, starting, the, starting the NFL season, so I'm pretty depressed about that. Um, but thanks to everyone listening, and have a great night. <laughs>